This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Reynolds has turned the page to what's next by making it possible for you to retail anywhere. Discover your next chapter at reyrey.com slash me. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash me. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, February 28th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, executive editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, it looks like Tesla will build a new factory in Mexico. Shareholders sue Tesla and Elon Musk over self-driving safety claims. And Fisker's stock jumps 30% on a forecast that one analyst calls borderline ludicrous. Plus, we'll hear from battery pioneer Selena Mikolajczyk, who is now working with startup Lighten to develop a new battery chemistry. If you get the right shape there, you can hold on to sulfur. You could cage sulfur. And then you could make a lithium sulfur cell, which is kind of really the holy grail. If you can make a practical lithium sulfur cell, that changes the industry. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. The president of Mexico says Tesla will build a new plant in Monterrey, about 300 miles south of San Antonio, Texas. President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador's statement ends weeks of speculation over where the EV maker would choose to operate in the country. Lopez Obrador says the company will build the plant with a series of commitments to address the problem of water scarcity. He says the company's commitments include using recycled water in the entire manufacturing process of electric cars, even for car paint. He added that more details will be announced Wednesday when the automaker has its investor day. Lopez Obrador says he had a call with Tesla CEO Elon Musk on Monday. There was no immediate verification of the plans from Musk or Tesla. Meanwhile, shareholders are suing Tesla and Musk over safety claims about autopilot and full self-driving technologies. In a proposed class action filed in San Francisco federal court, shareholders said Tesla defrauded them over four years with false and misleading statements. They say the statements concealed how Tesla's technologies, quote, created a serious risk of accident and injury. Safety regulators suspect the systems may have caused multiple fatal crashes. The shareholders say Tesla's stock price fell several times as federal regulators opened multiple investigations. Tesla also says it has temporarily stopped rolling out its $15,000 driver assistance system until it addresses issues that led the automaker to recall more than 360,000 vehicles. The pause affects customers who have opted in for full self-driving beta but have not yet received a software update containing the feature. A new study from the Governor's Highway Safety Association says pedestrian deaths in the U.S. rose 5% in the first half of 2022. That averages out to 19 deaths a day. Drivers struck and killed more than 3,400 people in the first six months of 2022, an increase of almost 170 deaths from the same period a year earlier. 2021 already marked a 40-year high in pedestrian deaths. The report cited an increase in dangerous driving behaviors such as speeding and a decrease in traffic enforcement during the pandemic as factors in the recent surge in deaths. And Fisker is sticking with its production forecast for the year, sending its shares up 30% to $7.40. The electric vehicle startup flagged increased orders for its ocean crossover. Fisker reiterated its 2023 production target of more than 42,000 vehicles with its manufacturing partner, Magna Steyr of Austria, despite persistent supply challenges. 
Garrett Nelson, an analyst at CFRA Research, says the target is, quote, borderline ludicrous given the struggles of EV peers and Fisker's production of 56 vehicles so far. CEO Henrik Fisker told analysts on a conference call that Magna was ready to produce 20 cars a day with a strong ramp up in the second quarter. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, Tesla plans to build a new plant in Monterey, Mexico. What are your thoughts? You know, it's interesting. Uh, Tesla had looked at Canada and some other places before deciding to build this plant in Mexico, at least according to uh, President uh, Lopez Obrador. But what really stands out to me isn't even the location so much as just this relentless story of growth from Tesla. Elon Musk has talked about trying to grow by 50% a year until they're you know, twice as big as Toyota. Maybe 50% is a stretch goal, but growth is clearly on the agenda for Tesla and Elon Musk. Coming up, what are automakers getting wrong with battery safety? And what new chemistries could revolutionize the race to make better, more affordable EVs? We'll hear from Lighten Chief Battery Technology Officer, Selena Mikolajczyk, next on Daily Drive. Reynolds & Reynolds recently announced a new logo and brand image to better reflect the company it is today and its vision for the future. Hear what Chris Walsh, president of Reynolds & Reynolds, has to say about Reynolds' rebrand and the next chapter. I think, you know, if you look back, it really started, you know, probably two years ago with a new leadership team in place and the decision to kind of look at how we can be a better company and how we can better serve our customers and how we can help them be more successful. But it's really accelerated the last, you know, 12 months. This is a commitment to a new kind of company in my eyes and a new way of kind of cohabitating in the industry, helping our customers be more successful. And, uh, you know, the marketing side of this is, I mean, it's certainly important to help to have a marketing organization that, you know, kind of takes your messages and makes them concise and, and impactful and, and broadcast that to the world. That's certainly a critical part you know, of what we're doing, but this is not a marketing program. This is, you know, a company-wide initiative you know, to better serve the industry and to, you know, help us get to the next chapter uh, in automotive. Visit rayray.com slash me to learn more about Reynolds' vision for the future and discover your next chapter. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash me. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Most of the world's largest automakers are forging ahead toward an electrified future. And so far, they're doing so using conventional lithium-ion battery technology. But that chemistry has limits, it's expensive, there are safety concerns, and key materials are scarce. Selena Mikolajczyk has been at the cutting edge of battery technology for quite a while now. She was one of the pioneers at Panasonic and in the early days of Tesla. Now she's Chief Battery Technology Officer at Lighten, which is looking for new and better battery chemistries. Mikolajczyk recently spoke with our own Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. Here's a piece of their conversation. You said when you started out on cell phones and laptops back in the mm -hmm. day, you saw each company that came along mm -hmm. kind of make yeah. the same mistakes. And today in the auto industry, within the last year or two, we've seen a lot of recalls because of battery fire. So yeah. are, are companies making the, the same mistakes that you know, you kind of headed off at the pass uh, back in 05, 06 with, with Tesla. I think when I first visited Tesla in 2006, people really hadn't thought about thermal runaway and propagation. Not really. I mean, it was kind of a nuisance issue. It sort of happened. It was 
always a quality defect, but the, the, the feeling was always that, well, you know, if you just make them better, those will go away, right? And the truth is, that's true, actually, right? Um, at that time, one in a million cells would randomly go into thermal runaway, just about. As the industry advanced, the top cell makers have really pushed that number down, right? I started seeing failure rates that the good cell makers would be like one in 10 million, right? And this was all for, for small cylindrical cells. And then, you know, when I was at Tesla working with the cell manufacturers, we were working very hard to bring those rates even lower. So you make cells that are, you know, orders of magnitude better now than you did back in that day, right? Many orders of magnitude better. So, you know, is it, how, how much do you assume a thermal runaway reaction is going to happen? The numbers change, but the underlying problem is that, well, you need a lot of energy inside a car to make it go. That means if you're staying with 18650s or 2170s, that means a lot of cells. People have a misconception now. They think, okay, well, if I make bigger cells, then my rates will be really low, right? So if I have 100 cells in my car as opposed to 10,000, I shouldn't be at risk. And that's not exactly true, but it's sort of subtle. So some things about cells, some faults that you can create tend to be related to things like, you know, you've got a tab in there and you've got welds on the tabs and you might have how the cell is stacked or wound inside there and misalignments and so forth that can cause problems. And that will be a per cell failure rate. And then your analysis is correct. But there's also failures that have to do with really just the amount of electrode that you have in a cell. So you you kind of count it as how many defects per you know square meter of electrode. And it's a tiny little defect that could cause a problem. And it doesn't care if it's in a small cell or a big cell. It's still one tiny little defect will cause a problem. Then you have to kind of convert your failure rate to, you know, not a failure rate per cell, but a failure rate per kilowatt hour or per, you know, square meter of electrode. That remains appreciable. So I think there's some underestimating of potential failure rates that's happening. But it's, you know, it's coming from a somewhat different place. There is um, understanding that thermal runaway happens and that propagation is a problem. But I think people haven't really sorted out what that expected rate is or what's the best that they can hope for with real manufacturing problems. So that's going to be something that I think people will be debating for a while and, and trying to find their way through. Generally speaking, if you're making a cell more energy dense, are you also increasing the risk of propagation or do those two things have to work in correlation with each other or are there ways to add energy and be uh, safer at the same time? Yeah, um, there are ways to add energy and be safer at the same time. What you've actually seen in cells is you know, continuing step toward increased safety, all right? you can really mess up a cell by just shoving more energy into it, okay? If you don't fully understand the tolerances that you've got that you can hold in the factory and you just decide that, okay, I'm going to thin out the separator and it'll be fine, or I'm going to, you know, assume a tighter alignment of anode to cathode than, than my equipment can realistically achieve, you're going to end up with a lot of fires, right? If you just shove energy in there. However, if you're saying, okay, I'm going to develop tools that are better at aligning my stacks or aligning my windings. And so my alignment's always going to be better. Um, so I can go to a tighter alignment and then I can sho effectively shove more energy into the cell. You will end up with more energy density 
and better safety, right? Same thing with separators. Those have been evolving over the last um, 25 years substantially. Okay, so a separator from the early 2000s and a separator that you can achieve now, the current separator is way better. Okay, it has way more impressive puncture resistance, way better oxidation resistance, way better shutdown behavior, right? So there's been all these advances that have been rolling in. And as a consumer, we don't see that. We see there's a cell, it's a certain size. People say, well, it's a cylindrical cell or it's a pouch cell or it's an 18650 or something. That's just the cell. And it's like, yeah, that's the form factor. The chemistry in there has been changing. The the design inside there has been changing constantly from uh, the time when these were commercialized. And, you know, most people don't see that. There's usually not a lot of fanfare because these sort of things are not a consumer product directly. They go into something. But there has been just, you know, tremendous uh, technical development in the industry over the last 25 years. So thinking about some of those technical developments and chemistry developments, that's a perfect segue into to asking you about what are you doing at Lighten these days and what makes your work uh, unique and standing out? Okay, so Lighten is trying a very, very difficult chemistry, lithium sulfur. This is, you know, it's a well-known chemistry. Everyone in electrochemistry knows about lithium and sulfur. Should give us great energy density if you can make a practical cell out of it. It's very different from conventional lithium ion. What happens with a lithium sulfur cell is that you start at the top of charge with solid sulfur, and then as you discharge it, it forms these kind of long chain polysulfides that are actually a liquid. And then at the end of discharge, there's a precipitation reaction of lithium sulfide. So you go from solid to liquid to solid, all through the space of one discharge. And then when you charge it up, you go right back through there, right? So uh, this is kind of mind blowing. Obviously, if you've got a liquid and you've got a liquid electrolyte, you've kind of got an issue that, well, okay, you've got two liquids and what are they going to do together? It turns out, you know, if you just try this without something to hold on to the sulfur, you know, the sulfur will dissolve in the electrolyte and, you know, while you discharge and then it'll migrate over to the anode and it'll coat the anode and it's very insulating and your cell will stop. Nothing, you know, it all stops because it all reacts. So that's, that's not so good. Um, So what do you do with lithium sulfur? Well, people have been trying this for a long time. Can you control the sulfur? Can you keep it separate from the anode in a um, practical way um, so that you, you can go through these reactions and get the nice energy density and, you know, still have a working cell. Yeah, it's been something that people have been trying for quite some time. Lighten came along um, and was doing uh, development of graphene, particularly 3D graphenes that are formed by cracking methane. So the, the raw material is methane. And then in our reactors, it gets cracked and you get hydrogen gas and then you get carbon structures, which we can tune our reactors to make those structures in all kinds of different ways, including a graphene and what we call a 3D graphene. So we can get all kinds of different structures there. And a while ago, you know, the group was looking at this and saying, well, what do we do with these 3D graphenes? What can we do? And uh, they tried some things. They tried some adding these as a component to a polymer. It lightweights the polymer beautifully, right? And it adds all kinds of strength and so forth. So that's cool. Um, and they were doing some work with some... Uh, various potential customers. And someone said, you know, if you get the right shape there, you can hold on to sulfur. 
you could cage sulfur and then you could make a lithium sulfur cell, which is kind of really the holy grail. Because the thing about sulfur is um, it's cheap, it's abundant. And it's not, it's uh, not in China or, it's or not, it is, well, but it's anywhere it's, else. It's everywhere, right? And, uh, you know, if you can make a practical lithium sulfur cell, that changes the industry, right? So, you know, the, the founders looked at this and said, all right, uh, we should try that. And they started doing development of batteries and they got some uh, encouraging results and uh, kept doing the development. And then, you know, I joined about six, seven months ago, right? And said, okay, where, where are we at? Well, we still have some development to go, but it looks kind of promising. Technology, it's going to have, we're going to be in development for a while. It's going to, it's going to take a while to sort all this out because when you do a cell, you know, you can end up with a great cathode, but you have to match the anode, the separator, the electrolyte system to that. Um, so you, you don't usually just create one killer component, right? You, you have to do the whole cell design. Um, and there's lots of challenges with lithium sulfur. After you get the cathode where it's working pretty well, then you have to fix everything else. And then you keep coming back and forth, right? So we're, we're on a development pathway. But we're getting uh, good results that look like we could make you know practical cells by the end of the year that people might actually want to buy, not for cars, but for other applications. And, you know, and you say, well, why, why do you want to mess with this? Well, it's because there's not really that much nickel in the world. You know, forget about where it might be sitting. There's just not that much of it. So if you want to talk about how do I electrify everything, and not just some very fancy EVs, but, you know, EVs for everyone and stationary systems around the world. And not just, you know, for wealthy nations, but everywhere. The reality is you don't have enough nickel in the world to do that. Okay. So at that point you say, okay, well, nickel's great. And I mean, you know, I I ride around on high nickel cells. Okay. I have a Model S. I love the car. Right. But there's not enough for everyone. And then you say, okay, what do I do next? Well, LFP is on the market, right? Seeing a lot of that That's, now, for sure. Yeah, everyone's excited about LFP. The, the trouble with LFP is that the energy density on it is not that great, right? So, you know, you can make lower range things. LFP has a lot of great performance parameters to it, but it's kind of okay, right? thing about sulfur is, theoretically, you can have amazing energy densities, right? Amazing ones. Like gravimetrically twice what a conventional lithium ion cell can give you right now, right? So that says, wow, you know, you could put lithium sulfur into cars and, you know, you wouldn't be like compromising on range, okay? This is, you know, this gets, this gets really exciting. And then on top of it, sulfur is really cheap, right? So not only do you have enough of it, but you bring the cost down substantially, right? So, wow, um, this is, you know, this is, there's a lot of motivation to do this because what it means if we can get lithium sulfur working is it's a pathway to electrify everything. Selena Mikolajczyk is the Chief Battery Technology Officer at Lighten. She spoke with our own Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. You can hear their full conversation on Shift wherever you get your podcasts. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer, as well as our own Paige Hodder, for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on innovation and technology, 
manufacturing, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with Toyota Chief Scientist Gil Pratt about the automaker's approach to carbon reduction and electric vehicles and the surprising controversy it has stirred up. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.